Well, good morning, Summit family. Multitask with me. If you could make your way to Exodus chapter 32, that's where I will be uh, sharing the word of God from today. Uh, But I also want to say to you, happy Memorial Day weekend. Uh, This is a weekend in the uh, calendar of our year where we just pause and reflect on all of those who have paid the ultimate sacrifice in serving our country. They've laid down their lives so that you and I Uh, can enjoy the freedoms that we have. And so we definitely want to pause, reflect, and uh, whisper a thank you to God for them. We also want to just say thank you for those of you who are serving uh, us right now, either in reserves or active duty. Uh, We want to say thank you for your service. In fact, uh, I would just even encourage you to stand for those of you who are active duty or in the reserves right now. Yes, yes, thank you, thank you. Exodus chapter 32, pick me up. I'll just read verse one, but we're really gonna make our way through the first 14 verses of Exodus chapter 32. It says, when the people saw that Moses, make note of this word here, the whole text I really believe is framed by this word, delayed. To come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, up. Make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. God, would you speak to us today? I sense your presence among us corporately, Lord God, as we have gathered together to ascribe your worth. We have worshiped you. God, we dare not leave your presence having merely talked to you without pausing to hear from you. So would you speak to us? Would you encourage us? Would you give us hope? Would you strengthen us for the next leg of the journey? It's in Jesus' name I ask all these things. Amen. If you're in the blues, you know the name Ethel Waters. No one could quite sing the blues like Ethel. I guess it's because no one quite lived the blues like Ethel. She grew up in very, and I don't use this word frivolously, but she grew up in very traumatic circumstances. She never really knew who her dad was. There were rumors that she was the product of a rape. The family that she did know, Ethel would later admit, they never hugged her. They never doted on her. They never even said, I love you. And yet every Sunday, Ethel said, I sat next to this family and listened to them worship God and sing how much they loved God. While they never did anything, to love me. At the age of 12, so this would have been somewhere around 1908, her family and church family forced her into an arranged marriage. One year later, 
Ethel tapped out of both the marriage and the church. If there's one word that sums up her exodus, it's the word disappointment. If there's one word I want to talk to you about for the next few moments we have together, it's the word disappointment. What do you do when God lets you down? That's the word that sums up our text. Here's the nation of Israel, the covenant people of God. For over 400 years, they'd been in bondage to Egypt. It seemed as if God was nowhere to be found until around about Exodus chapters three and four, God shows up. He shows up to an 80-year-old man by the name of Moses through a bush that is burning, but it's not being consumed. He says, Moses, I want you to understand, I, I have not been oblivious to my people's plight. I've been well aware of what they've been going through. He says, I've, I've heard their groans, their cries. I've seen, I know, and I'm going to come down and do something about it. Moses, I've got an assignment for you. I, I need you to go down, Moses, tell old Pharaoh to let my people go. And so that's what Moses does. Over the next several chapters, it's a stunning course of events where God unleashes um, 10 miracles, 10 plagues. They're kind of 10 flexes of this mighty sovereign God. We'll get to that in just a few moments. And then the unthinkable, God opens up the Red Sea. The people walk through on dry ground. As we learned last week, they had to have been wearing Air Jeremiah's as they walked through. <laughs> At least that's what Pastor JD says, the Hebrew says. But anyways, as they're walking through, God does this miracle. And then and here they are in the place they have never been before. They are following God, being obedient to God. They're in the middle of nowhere. They're in the middle of a wilderness. And when we get to Exodus chapter 32, God and their leader Moses are nowhere to be found. They've been gone for 40 days. Can't you just sense the confusion? Learn to read your Bible, not just in its literal, historical, grammatical, theological context. Also learn to read it in its emotional context. Here you are in the middle of nowhere. God seems to be nowhere to be found. Moses, where are you? They're disappointed. There's been a delay. Ever been there? Ever found yourself disappointed with God? I guess if I'm going to talk about disappointment, we better be clear on our terms. What do we mean when we talk about disappointment? Here's my little thumbnail attempt at a definition. Will you look at it with me? Disappointment happens when my expectations are not aligned with my real-time experiences. Disappointment simply means that what I'm expecting over here, I am not experiencing over here in the chasm, the gulf in between what I'm expecting, what I'm experiencing. We name that disappointment ever been there. This now raises the question. The question is exactly what am I expecting from God? 
Little did you know it, I, I, I think all of us, as I just mind the scriptures, as I kind of take a deep dive into my own heart and to the, the plight of human experience, I think all of us, all of us at minimum have made a kind of two agreements with God. We've got two kind of broad expectations of God. Number one, I think we all expect that God, you will be reasonable to me. What does that mean? What that means is we expect that, that God, if a good person does good things, they'll get good outcomes. It's reasonable. And if a bad person does bad things, they'll get bad outcomes. It's reasonable. That's why all of us, I'm going out of limb, probably all of us know somebody in our lives who the biggest deterrent they have to coming to faith in Jesus Christ is this thing called theodicy or how can a good God allow so-called bad things to happen to good people? That's not reasonable. So if you read your Bibles, you read Jonah. Jonah's got four chapters. Chapter four, Jonah ends like a bad reality show. Jonah is in a fit of bitterness. Why is he bitter with God? Because here is Jonah, a member of the covenant people of God. He has gone on the command of God to share the good news of God's love and mercy to not just any old group of people, but a group of people known as the Ninevites who are part of the Assyrians who are oppressing the people of God. And what does God have the nerve to do to these bad people? He does a great thing by pouring out his mercy and grace and Jonah is disappointed. How dare you, God, show kindness to my enemy? Ever been there? Well, let's go Job. Here's Job. God describes Job to Satan as being perfect and upright. Actually recommends that Satan messes with Job. That's one recommendation I never want. All hell broke, breaks loose in Job's life, loses health, his kids, finances. His friends show up. For the first seven days, they're doing great because they don't say a thing. And then at the end of seven days, they start chirping a bit. And the essence of what they say is, come on, Job, you can tell us. What did you do? The equation's not lining up. Perfect upright over here. Bad things over here. That's not reasonable. So I think we all have the expectation, God's gonna be reasonable to me. I'm thinking now of a young woman. She's not a part of our church, but she loves Jesus, grew up in a strong Christian family, um, serves God faithfully, serves the church faithfully. Great job, great money, incredibly generous to the things of God. And yet every single day, she struggles to just get out of bed. She's been diagnosed with clinical depression. and harbors suicidal thoughts. She's angry with God. That's not reasonable. I think the second expectation we have of God, the second kind of silent agreement we've made, is God, you're going to be reasonable to me and then God, I just expect you to be available to me. 
I expect that, that when I need you, you're going to be there. That when I ask you for something, you're, you're going to respond. I, 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 I just kind of expect, in fact, it's that expectation that I think is at the heart of their disappointment in our text. Here we are, we're following you, God. We're in the middle of nowhere. I've been serving you faithfully. Here we are in the middle of nowhere in the wilderness and you are nowhere to be found. You are not available, disappointed exactly what the sons of Korah get to. Will you look at it with me in Psalm 44, the sons of Korah? I love the language they use. Awake, why are you sleeping, O Lord? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face? Why do you forget our affliction and oppression? I mean, this is not a safe Christianese, King James Version kind of prayer. Ever felt like God just fell asleep on you? Ever felt like he took a sabbatical? <laughs> I'm thinking of another guy, a guy named Richard. We'll call him Richard. That's not his real name. He, got, he confessed Christ in college through a ministry called InterVarsity Fellowship. That's where the gospel is introduced to him. Right as he accepts Christ, he finds out that his parents' uh, marriage is kind of dangling um, by a thin kind of string. They're, they're on the brink of kind of giving up and getting divorced. And so he starts to pray for his parents. And, and then he's not doing so well in school. He's got this academic scholarship, but he's in danger of losing his scholarship. So he's praying to God, God, I need you to intervene. And then he meets and falls in love with a beautiful Christian girl and they uh, end up getting engaged. Um, but then their relationship starts to go south. So he's praying for his folks' marriage. He's praying for his scholarship that he stays in school. He's praying for his uh, his uh, his relationship with his fiance and what happens? His parents get divorced. He loses his scholarship and his fiance breaks up with him. So Richard says, one night I just, just needed to have it out with Jesus. He says, I prayed for four hours. I needed a breakthrough. Four hours, I'm praying in my room Nothing, Richard says. I feel nothing. I sense nothing. At the end of four hours, he says, I was converted. Converted away from God, he said. So I grabbed all my Bibles. I grabbed all my theology books. Took a couple trips downstairs. Dumped them in the backyard barbecue grill. Took out some lighter fluid. Doused them with lighter fluid. Lit a match. Watched all of it up, including my, 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 my faith. Go up in flames. He said, I was done. Ever been there? Ever just, yeah, I'm in church, Brian, but i just be honest with you. My heart's just not there. Because I've been protecting my heart from a God who's been, who's been disobedient to my expectations. <laughs> I've been preaching since uh, I was 17. So I've been doing this for a while. This is probably the most dangerous sermon I'll ever preach. This ain't for super spiritual saints. This is, this is for those of us who got good stuff in our prayer journals. I ain't talking about new cars with the 26-inch rims. I'm talking get me pregnant 
don't let me have another miscarriage kind of prayers. And you ain't heard from him. I grew up in a little chocolate church on the south side of Atlanta. We, every Sunday, we, we came to church suited and booted. We didn't have the Crocs ministry at my church. I used to put on my little, my, eight, nine years old, I used to put on my little polyester suit with a little clip-on tie. No AC in our church. I told y'all this before. We had a little, our AC was a little wooden stick with a cardboard thing stapled to it. One side was Dr. King, picture of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. The other side was an advertisement for a funeral home. And every Sunday, we did something called testimony service. And I'd watch sister so-and-so get up and deacon so-and-so get up. And they would testify of the goodness of God. And they'd say stuff like, uh, he stepped in and he healed my body. And he, he, I walked to the mailbox. I got a check that came out of nowhere. And, and one thing after another. And it's and all the punch. I was, ain't God good? And, and I, I prayed and God answered and God showed up. But, but I remember being eight, nine years old and going, I don't know that God. A God who fulfills all your expectations is fiction. That God does not exist. What do you do not if he disappoints you? But when you just get disappointed, I want to have some grown folk conversation. So here's Israel following you, God, in the middle of nowhere. Look back at verse one. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain. The people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. Verse two, so Aaron said to them, take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, your daughters, bring them to me. So all the people took off the, the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron and he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool. Here it is and made a golden calf. Oh, help me, Lord. That phrase, golden calf, in the original language Hebrew, it's better translated young bull. This is important because in ancient Near Eastern cultures, the bull was a symbol of strength, of leadership, and fertility. Their leaders are missing. So they said, let us make something to replace our leaders. They're disappointed and one of the things they show us is that when we're disappointed, let me, let, me, let, me use, let me use an overused word. When we're disappointed, disappointment triggers idolatry. If you ever want to know 
The idols of your heart get disappointed with God. Disappointment is like an MRI that reveals what you really worship. Now, disappointment is good because you only get disappointed over what you care about. No offense, I ain't from here. If UNC beats Duke or Duke beats UNC, we're going to keep it moving. I, I don't get disappointed over that. <laughs> so your disappointment is actually good because it shows you care. Get concerned if God disappoints you and you don't feel disappointed. So watch it. They're longing for God, but reaching for idols. All right, Brian, I'm a little confused here. I'm a Durham Bulls fan, but I don't have all that paraphernalia in my house. What are you talking about? An idol is anything, even a good thing, that becomes an ultimate thing. You could make an idol out of anything, out of your kids, out of sex, out of your relationship, out of money, out of status, you name it. And it's interesting, the timing here. It's, all this is in one verse. Disappointed, idolatry. Disappointed, idolatry. Disappointed, idolatry. And that's where some of you are right now. Let's just keep it 100. I've, I've been a good boy. I've been giving my money. I've been showing up to this church. I've been praying and asking God for something. He hasn't given it to me. And something in you just shrugs your shoulders. And, what, what, what's the use? It's, it's not working out for me. I might as well get on porn. I might as well hook up. I've been praying, I've been praying, I've been praying, I've been praying. God, give me this promotion, give me this promotion, give me this promotion. We could really use it. Give me this promotion, give me this. And, and, and I, don't, I don't get it. And, 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 and you kind of twist the knife because the person who does get it cares nothing about you. So I might as well do what everybody else in my company does. Let me just cut corners and lack integrity because being a good girl ain't working out for me. I don't know how many more miscarriages I can go through. Praying, 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 praying. Why even come to church? Notice, when God sees the idol, everything stops. God says, we, we got to deal with that. So I, I just moved here from California a couple years ago, and uh, <laughs> my wife and I, man, it was the most humbling experience. We, we had a little modest home in California that cost us like $17 million. But anyways, we <laughs> little modest home in California. And we're about to put it on the market and we have the real estate agent come, come over and, and the real estate agent about, about to put it on the market. She does a walkthrough and then she sits us down <laughs> and she says this, um, have you ever had your house staged before? And I'm like, no, no, no. And in a really nice way, she just proceeded to say how much she hates our furniture. <laughs> 
I mean, she pretty much says that the stuff that you have in your house as is is going to be detrimental to the sale of your house. Like, we can't move forward. I'm like, we're in California. What are you talking about? Like, my house can burn, and I'll get a cash offer tomorrow. I'm telling you. (laughs) Staging the house was a bit of a pain because, in essence, it says that there's some stuff we got to get out, and there's some other stuff we have to replace. God is saying to Israel, everything stops We can't move forward until we deal with the idol. When I'm disappointed, I've got one of two reactions. See, while disappointment is unavoidable, my response is not. I, I don't choose what I'm disappointed over. Disappointment happens. I do choose my response. So am I going to go the way of idolatry or there's another way? And that other way is that maybe, maybe God is calling me to see disappointment as an opportunity, not for idolatry, but to exercise faith. Verse seven, and the Lord said to Moses, go down for your people, come back to that, whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. Here it is, they have turned aside. They have turned aside. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. In other words, they've stopped walking by faith in the direction I told them to go. It's interesting. I just was hit with this thought this week. The longest narratives in the Bible, the longest stories in the Bible, do you know they all kind of have the same two plots? Deep disappointment, deep faith. The longest stories in the Bible, they they center on those two things, deep disappointment, deep faith. It's Abraham and Sarah. For decades, they struggle with infertility, the deep disappointment. God shows up and says, look, there's a child of promise coming. Hold on. Yeah, they stumble along the way. They make some choices that they shouldn't, but but they walk by faith and finally receive what's promised. It's Joseph. Deep disappointment, deep faith. We meet him around the age of 17, scholars say, and it's disappointment after disappointment. He's betrayed by his brothers. He's sold into slavery, lied on by Potiphar's wife, forgotten about in jail. Can you just see the disappointment? And yet he's still walking by faith, still holding on. That's why at the end of the story, he says to his brothers, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. It's David. From the time he's anointed king till the time he sits down on his throne, 15 years of expecting one thing but experiencing another. And then there's Israel. Disappointment, 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 but they don't walk by faith. They reach for their idols. And somehow... Somehow, I I think the narrative of my life should never have disappointment. Somehow, Brian Loritz is a spoiled, entitled little kid who thinks that I get to get out of something that every major Bible character who's a part of God's redemptive plan goes through. I told you last week I hate math. 
you know, when, when I was in, uh, I'm, I'm Gen X, Gen X. Um, when I was in, um, in grade school, um, I just wanted, wanted the answers quickly. So I wanted one of those, I'll, I'll lose some of you, you Gen Xers, just amen me if, if you get this. Um, I wanted one of those calculators on steroids. We call them Texas Instruments. Can I get an amen from any Gen Xer? Texas Instruments, man, these things were beautiful, man. You can plug in the problem, spit out the answer. Plug in the problem, spit out the answer. Plug in the problem, spit out the answer. Just give me the answer. Quick, 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 quick. But my teachers, I promise you, they annoyed the living daylights out of me. It's like they all got together and said the same thing. They would say, Brian, show us your work. (laughs) My brother. And I hated this, more Gen X stuff. So I'd take out my Trapper Keeper. And I'd write, and I'd work on the problem, and I'd mess up, and I'd erase and write and erase and write, and I'm going crazy. But my teachers understood something. Growth doesn't happen with quick answers. Growth happens in the process. Trial and error stumbling and fumbling your way along. God is more interested in growing your faith than fulfilling your expectations. It's exactly what the writer of Hebrews said. Writer of Hebrews said, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And without faith, it is impossible to please him for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. And how do we get to that faith? Albert Tate writes, strong faith comes from deep rejection, painful losses, doubt, discomfort, suffering. Food rarely grows on the mountaintops. It grows in the valley. So I think God's saying, you want quick answers. So if God were always reasonable with you, do good, get good, do bad, get bad, that doesn't increase your faith, that increases your performance. And if God was always available to you, you could just feel him all the time. Insert request, get answer. Insert request, get answer. That's not God, that's a vending machine. Ah, but there's something else about disappointment we see. So here is, um, (laughs) I love this. Here's Israel, they're disappointed. Get us a, make us an idol. They make the idol, God sees. And look at verse seven. And the Lord said to Moses, I love this. Go down, I love it. For not my people, (laughs) for your people. (laughs) I mean, this reminds me kind of a husband and a wife and they're, and they're, their child does something silly like crazy and the wife looks at the husband and says, now that's your child. <laughs> that's kind of what's going on here. This is a bit tongue in cheek. We understand God never turns his back on us. We get all that. But God says, 
Go get your people. And then later on, he says, for they are stiff-necked. This is a farming metaphor that was used of a, of a horse or an ox that had a rope tied around its neck. And, and that farmer would, would give a gentle tug. And, and it's supposed to elicit the response of kind of submission. But instead, that horse or that ox digs in and resists and rebels. They called that being stiff-necked. Here is God. Then he's saying, look, my people are stiff-necked. And then later on in the narrative, what do we see? Moses takes the tablets and he breaks them. Why is that important? Because those tablets represented the rules and regulations for their relationship. It is symbolic when he breaks those tablets of Moses saying, Israel, you have broken your relationship with God. So do you, do you get it? Let's just put it together. Moses, go get your people. <laughs> They're stiff-necked. They broke broken relationship. Here's what I want you to understand about disappointment. You act like in your relationship with God that you're the only one who gets disappointed. God gets disappointed with us too. And his disappointment is rooted in some very good reasons. I hope it's a safe place, but my wife and I go to therapy. 24 years in, we still haven't found that cruise control mechanism to marriage. We're working. There's times when we go to therapy and I, I get in the car and I think to myself, oh, we got some stuff to talk about today. And I'm going to tell the therapist this and when my wife didn't do this, and when she said that, and I, I just got the list. Only to sit down in therapy and realize she got a list too. <laughs> Nothing kind of humbles and undoes me more than to realize I'm not the only one in the relationship with some disappointments. So, so, so can I just ask us some questions? Let me, just, let me just turn those two expectations back on us. Have we always been reasonable with God? I said, no, no, no. You, you, you don't work for your salvation. We get that. It's by grace. But I gave my son to die for you. Out of that, I just want you to respond in obedience. Who bets a thousand there? That's reasonable. Are, are we always available to God? Have you prayed like you should every day? Have you read your Bible like you should every day? Of course not. Then why are we ready to throw God away over a deal that we don't even keep ourselves? Wow. Let's go home on this one. God says, okay, Moses, we're going to do a massive reset. I'm going to kill everybody. <laughs> I'm going to start with you. Moses is like, I'm 100 years old. God's like, you ever heard of Abraham? I love it. 
You read Exodus 32, it says that Moses went to go make atonement. He gets to God and he says, look at it with me, verse 13. He says to God, remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and all this land that I have promised, I will give to your offspring and they shall inherit it to ever. You know what we call this? We call this a you said prayer. God is, Moses is reminding God of the promise he made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, also known as Israel. He is holding God to his promises. He is, he is praying a you said prayer. Ever pray to you said prayer? God, I'm really wrestling with worry and anxiety, but you said you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. You said... You said, God, that all things work together for good to those that love you and are called according to your purpose. You said that he who began the good work and you will, will bring it to completion, that what you start, you finish. Oh, make sure to sprinkle into your prayer some you said prayers where you hold God to his promises. But then Moses says, hey, God, if you do this, if you bring us out of Egypt only to kill us, we'll be the laughing stock of the nations. You have called us to be a light to the nations. The book of Exodus is all about the sovereignty of God. And when we talk about the sovereignty of God, we're talking about a God who is in control. It begins with all the baby boys being killed. And then God in his sovereignty protects Moses and he gets adopted into the family of Pharaoh. Moses has nothing but ends up with, with everything. We, we see God in his sovereignty uh, exercising and kind of flexing his sovereign care by, by sending these 10 plagues and, 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 and getting his people out of bondage and, and putting them into free. It is all about the sovereignty of God, a God who uses everything, even our disappointments are a part of his plan. I got my oldest with me today. I remember him, it was just him and his brother. We got three sons, but we lived in Memphis for some years, and I remember when him and his brother Miles at the time um, first started getting their haircuts, I took them to the best barber in Memphis, a guy by the name of Sean Woodfork. That's when I had hair. I used to do my hair, but anyways, um, Sean, best barber in Memphis, and I'd, I'd take my kids, and both of them, Sean would cut both of their their hair. But if you saw my kids after Sean cut their hair, best barber in Memphis, you would assume it was two different barbers. One, the best barber in Memphis, and the other, Stevie Wonder. <laughs> I mean, Quentin, his line would be tight and crispy. The fade would be amazing. Like he could grace the cover of a magazine. His brother Miles, not so much. So, so why two drastically different pictures? Well, Quentin would sit still. The barber would tell him to turn right. He'd turn right, turn left, turn left. Sat still. Miles, not so much jerking all over the place and getting plugged and all this other stuff. 
At the end of the day, their haircuts was not a commentary on the skill of the barber. It was a commentary on their submission or lack thereof. The quality of your life doesn't so much reflect God's sovereignty. He is sovereign. It reflects your submission or lack thereof. So when I'm disappointed and I don't see him, I don't feel him. Will I be still and know that he is God? I'm mad at you, but I'm going to keep walking. I ain't heard from you. One foot in front of the other. I ain't turning aside. So Moses says to God, Hey, God, blot out my name. I'm here to make atonement. Blot out my, kill me to save them. God says, no, I ain't going to do that. Because centuries later, there will come a true and better Moses. And when there was a rebellious people, you and I, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Jesus Christ says, I'll die in their place and for their sins. And that is why the gospel is the most reasonable thing. It is so reasonable, it is unreasonable. In the gospel, our expectations for reasonableness are met. Are met God says, I'll take your rebellion for my perfection. I'll take your transgression for my righteousness. And you want to talk about availability? I, when you get saved, I'm going to step inside of you in the person of the Holy Spirit who will never leave you or forsake you. That is why Paul would say to the Corinthians, do you not know your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Whether you know it or not, every single day, God fulfills those expectations. So old Ethel leaves the church in 1908, disappointed. But in 1957, she happens to be in New York City where a tall, lanky preacher by the name of Billy Graham shows up. You can put the image up there. That's Ethel. She's sitting there, a woman who's been hurt and disappointed by God, 1957. She walks the aisle. Still disappointed, she says yes to Jesus. In the last 20 years of, your, of her life, you couldn't find Ethel singing the blues. You could find her on the stage at a Billy Graham crusade, testifying to a good God. When I get to heaven, there's some people I want to see. Uh, there's some folk I want to do coffee with. I want to sit with Ethel. Ethel. 
because I need to know the intricacies. How did you work through the disappointment and what led you to that church? And We don't know all the details now. We do know that she just showed up and she kept walking. I want to pray. If you are here and sometimes we hear the word of God and we, we put it on layaway. We say, that's a good word. That's not where I'm at now. But sometimes we hear the word of God and it's, um, it's a word in season. It's right where I'm at. Someone's here today and you, you're here right now. You're at one of our campuses and you're disappointed. I want to pray for you. If you're here at one of our campuses and you would say, I've got some disappointment with God. We're not going to ask you what that is. I, I want to pray for you. Would you stand to your feet if that's you, if that's you? I'm in a season of disappointment. Yes, I see you. Yes. Yes, I see you. Yes. Yes, still standing. Yes, I see you. I see you. After services, I've stood up in the, uh, uh, um, in the lobby and I've prayed with folk who, whose father just died. I've prayed with people who've had the miscarriages. Seasons of disappointment. Yes. Yes. Someone standing near you, I want to encourage you. Stand with them or stretch a hand towards them or lay a hand on them and pray with me. Father, in the name of Jesus, we pray for our brothers and sisters who are standing and their standing is an admission of disappointment. I pray for them right now, Lord God. I pray that you would strengthen their resolve. One foot in front of the other. To walk by faith, not by sight. I pray that you would show up, Lord God, and and that you, Lord God, would graciously deal with their idols that they would get to a point where it's Christ alone. God, would you give them joy in this season of disappointment? May the joy of the Lord be their strength as they walk the path. Thank you, Father. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.